Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And Chris, the passage that we're looking at today, it is one of my favorites because it's a story of grace and forgiveness. Appreciate you saying that, Lynn. I feel the same way. I, uh, under my, my prep notes, I have one of my favorite Bible stories. <laughs> so we share this in common. So we'll look together at this passage uh, uh, we we need to hear and be reminded of great stories in the Bible that reveal to us and show us God's great grace and forgiveness. We're in the middle of a study uh, called My Encounter with Jesus. So we're looking at the stories of individuals who have, uh, an ama- have amazing uh, encounters with Jesus that are life-changing. And this is one of those great stories uh, in, in the Bible that just depict who God is and the grace and the mercy that he bestows upon us. We're delighted to have Ron Brown with us today. Ron, good to see you today. Yeah, I'm glad to be seen. Glad to be with you again. Always is. Ron is our longtime writer of the Herschel Hobbes commentary. He writes uh, the the entire book of commentary. Uh, So his life stays rather busy. Uh, But Ron, you always do such an incredible job helping us to understand the passage. So thank you. I, I appreciate it. That's certainly that's certainly my goal to do that, and it's an honor for me to be able to do it, as I've said before. Ron, before we get into looking at the passage, um, we just want to deal with um, an, an issue uh, out of the gate. I'd like for you to speak to it. Uh, the The passage from uh, John seven fifty three through eight eleven show up in brackets in many translations or as footnotes in some, and so we want to we want to talk about that. Uh, together uh last week lynn we talked about the um that the same thing happened in john 5 right you want to say something about that real quick yes we talked about it last week (laughs) (laughs) such insight (laughs) in john 5 verses 3b and 4 does not show up in the uh christian standard bible so it goes from three to five and so we had to talk about the fact that that uh, particular part of verse four greg pouncey told us that it wasn't in the oldest most accurate um, manuscripts was wasn't seen before uh 400 uh, a.d so um and it's it seems like it was probably a helpful verse that was inserted to explain what the meaning of the stirring of the water was. And this, this passage has some of those same dynamics at play, Ron. Well, it has some of the same dynamic. It's, it doesn't show up in some of the earliest Greek manuscripts and that, uh, so that those manuscripts were not available when the King James version was being translated. Uh, Even though they were older manuscripts, they were, not available at that time and so they were when they were discovered later uh, that's what uh, uh, has influenced more contemporary english translations not to include those verses or to include them in brackets or in footnotes various translations and publishers handle it uh, a different way Uh, i can't think of anybody right now that just excludes those verses so you know the most translations uh uh, indicate that they're there, but offer some explanation that 
the story was not found in the earliest manuscripts that are now available to us. However, that does not mean that the story uh, is, you know, not the, you know, that is not true. Doesn't mean that it's not authentic. Uh, it just is, does not show up in the earliest manuscripts to indicate that John included it. You know, I'm reminded that John said at the end of his gospel that he couldn't write everything. And who knows, that doesn't, to me, that says John may well have known this story, but he chose not to include it, just like he apparently, from his own witness, chose not to include a lot of other things because he just didn't have, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the space, I guess we'll say, to do that. But the story is, is filled with authenticity when you look at the message of the story. Uh, it is very consistent with Jesus' approach to hypocrisy which is what the scribes and Pharisees were guilty of in this story. Jesus is never satisfied with hypocrisy. It also indicates that Jesus is not uh, pleased with sinful behavior, and so he doesn't ignore the sinful behavior. It also indicates that Jesus came not to condemn, but to give life because that's what unfolds in this story. So uh, it, it, it has all of the earmarks of being a very authentic gospel story that, that most commentators or many commentators would agree it probably happened. It just didn't show up in this man, earliest manuscripts. So when I was in seminary, I would go to professors and ask, and I was, I was interested uh, for, uh, for their scholarly perspective on this passage. And um, I, I was all, it was that exactly what you said is, was the, the, the common uh, conversation. One of the best known stories of Jesus, one of the best love stories of Jesus, uh, definitely an experience that happened in his life. It, it may fit a better place better, uh, but uh, there was, and I went to a, what was considered a liberal seminary at the time. And I was hearing these guys who uh, say, obviously a, a, a true story. Obviously this happened in Jesus life. Uh, no doubt about it over and over again. So I was always pleased to have that kind of response. Well, gentlemen, I'm eager to get into the story. So let's look at this together. Uh, this is John 8, but I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. At dawn, he, talking about Jesus, at, at dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. And in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So let me ask you guys, tell us, how would this be a potential trap for Jesus? Well, if, you know, I, John does give us uh, the insight in what is that verse six. Uh, we were able to look back that uh, they were looking to trap him. So that, that uh, clearly from uh, John's perspective was the intent of this whole episode. And the way he could be trapped 
was he could either be perceived as being soft on sin or he could be perceived as being uh, harsh because of the law. And, and there's also a, a kind of a third perspective that has to do with the whole idea of uh, uh, execution, that uh, uh, the Romans reserve the right to execute. And so if Jesus were to say, well, she needs to, to be executed, then that would put him in conflict with Rome. So there were two or three ways that uh, these uh, scribes and Pharisees thought they might have Jesus trapped uh, in this uh, presentation. It seemed like the, the, the perfect uh, opportunity. It seemed like they, they felt like we got him now. He, he can't get out of this thing. <laughs> yeah, because they even, they even were fulfilling the law regarding witnesses that, you know, the, the law required, uh, you know, at least two witnesses. Uh, and here, I, you don't know how many, but it appears that you've got a group of witnesses. So, you know, they've got the, they've got the person that is being accused. They've got the witnesses. They've got the law on their side. And it does look like we've put it all together and we've got this guy. There is no wiggle room here. Dead to right. We got him. However, <laughs> you raised uh, uh, Ron in uh, the Herschel Hobbs commentary. Where's the guy? Doesn't adultery require two people involved? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is kind of a flaw in their uh, uh, in their plan that uh you know the man does not show up they didn't they didn't strong arm him to bring him into the temple it was just the woman which you know leads to speculation was you know was she set up in some way or uh you know is she's a woman therefore you know we, she's not worthy of the same respect uh you know that this man may be maybe the man was somebody prominent so we don't want to you know we don't want to do anything that would uh, cast any aspersion on him. You know, we don't know what was going on there, but uh, you're right because that law does apply to the man as well as to the woman. And there just seems to be a total disregard for the woman, uh, how they brought her there, uh, public humiliation of her and no concern for her yet. Well, the man, we're going to give him a pass. So uh, before we jump to the next part, let me, uh, just point out and remind those of you who are listening that um, it may be that uh, a part of our conversations uh, in our groups and maybe something that you'd be willing to talk about with your group would be to talk about maybe a time in your life when you were caught in the act, uh, when you were doing something wrong and somebody caught you. And so this could be from your childhood. It can be something from your teenage years. Um, it doesn't have to be life and death like this situation. But I think that this is maybe a pretty universal experience being caught doing something wrong. Well, you know, the way, the way you all designed this whole study, you know, the title is Jesus Gave Me Grace and Forgiveness. And so therefore, you know, when you look at, uh, at the way the subsections are broken down, uh, you know, the first one has to, is dealing with, I had broken God's laws and deserve punishment. So the, the way the text 
uh, the, the, the session is designed, draws you into the text to put you in the story. And, and I found that to be, you know, a, a very good way to approach this. And it certainly, even as a writer, caused me to reflect uh, on, yeah, I had broken God's laws and deserve punishment and, and, and on through the, the other two subheads that uh, are used to, to define the, the session sections. As you look at this whole teaching, this whole story, there's never a question that the woman, she broke the law. She deserved punishment. There was no question about that. The question was, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do about it? And, of course, he surprised everybody with his response and how he, first of all, responded to the Pharisees uh, or the, the Jewish leaders, and then how he responded to the woman herself. So let's look at the next section, which is verses, uh, uh, let's start in verse 6, uh, the second half of verse 6, to see how Jesus responded to them. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. And only he was left with the woman in the center. So let me just say, I love Jesus and I love this story because of how he handles this the the idea that he just kind of starts doodling on the on the uh on the ground and then does it again after he 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 raises that question he he is just uh the ultimate <laughs> cool he, cool headed knows how to handle these things and uh, it it's it uh, draws me to him and causes me to love him more and appreciate uh, him more in how he handled that. Now, I know that in some of our groups that people will want to know and we'll discuss what what was he doing? What was he writing? And there's all kinds of speculation about that. I think we take a real uh, in the PSG. We, we, we try not to. We try to encourage people not to go there. It doesn't matter. We don't know the answers, but uh, it doesn't change the fact that it is an amazing response. Well, it's, it certainly adds intrigue to this story uh, because uh, even, you know, we're, we, we always want to know. <laughs> and uh, uh, the fact that we're not told just seems to increase our desire to know. Uh, but it is intriguing that uh, either John or whoever remembered this story, it wasn't important enough to them to, uh, you know, to, say here's what he wrote because uh and i take that to mean that frankly what he wrote was not the issue yeah uh and i find it i i'm intrigued more by and you use the word doodling that that maybe that's really what jesus did <laughs> is that he just you know bent over because he was sitting just sitting down he would bend over and just doodled in the ground because it was not what he was writing it that was important it was how what he had said was being processed by the scribes and pharisees and even by the by the woman who was hearing it and disciples and others that may have been there that uh you know jesus he never argues in this thing uh he uh he as you said he's just very discreet and yet his discretion is so probing uh, because it, uh, you know, these even these scribes and Pharisees, if 
I don't know if they knew what he was doing or if they just saw him doodling. The, the time was a time for them to think about what was happening, what Jesus had said, what they were trying to accomplish, and dealing with the fact, frankly, that, uh-oh, this airtight plan we had to, to trap Jesus seems to be unraveling here. Well, Ron, what's interesting, too, is when they first raised the question to him about, here's the issue, what do you say? He didn't immediately respond. When they first asked that question, that's when he bent down the first time and just started doodling or writing. And uh, it was almost like he's not going to he's not going to uh, honor this with an answer. He should or take. Yeah, he's just, he's, no, he's just, yeah, it's just not worth his time in that sense. So they kept pressing him. And then he then he stood up and made that that uh, that well-known statement that the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone. And then he started writing again. So it, it is interesting. Was he just killing time, you know, just for let the process? Was he writing down, as I've heard, obviously, uh, writing down other sins? We just don't know. But the beauty of this statement is that he's reminding us that all of us are guilty of sinning before God. It may not be adultery as this woman was caught in, but what it is, it's equally grievous and sinful to God. When you look at where the different writers, uh, Paul, for instance, in the old in the New Testament, will list sins. Uh, for instance, in Romans one, where he talks about um, the wickedness of people who've who've far from God and, and wandered away, and and where they he talks about you know he talks about the sinful homosexual acts, the sinful nature of that. Then he also right in that same thing, he also talks about well gossips and slanders, those who are disobedient to their parents. So it's not like He's lumping all these sins together, Paul was, that they're all grievous acts of wickedness. And I think that's uh, what Jesus is helping us see here with that statement. I mean, I don't know what your sin is, but it is just as grievous as what this woman has done. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really good point because uh, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. Uh, that's, uh, that offers a pretty, uh, pretty big challenge. Uh, that I've not, I've got to assess my life and am I pure? And, you know, when I'm honest with myself, I would have to say, no, I'm not. So, so just, just, just to throw this out there, it's a good thing the Apostle Paul wasn't there. <laughs> he claimed to be blameless regarding the law. <laughs> <laughs> Just for what it's worth in his pre uh pre-converted state. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, let's remember the context here. Uh I I think we often overlook this, and I think it's fascinating that in in, in verse two, we're told he's gone to the temple. All the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. So usually when we kind of tell the story, at least in the mind's eye, there's this woman, there's Jesus, and there's this group of Jewish leaders. But at the same time, there's this crowd. And so it's the Jewish leaders as they've walked away, and we see Jesus left alone with a woman. But there was still that crowd there observing and witnessing all this. I think it's our friend Matt Tullis uh, who first did this in such a way that caught my attention. But uh, suddenly you hear the sounds of rocks dropping and hitting the ground <laughs> as people began to walk away. And, uh, Matt, from a, 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 a dramatic perspective, would have people standing around who had rocks 
who would drop them and and you would hear that sound so uh just a, another side point to that whole there's this crowd of people seeing this take place uh and uh, and interesting that it's the older ones We're, we don't not a, not an expl explanation given but um the older ones first and then the others follow suit so in verse 10 jesus stood up he said to her woman where are they has no one condemned you no one lord she answered neither do i condemn you said jesus go and from now on do not sin anymore here jesus showed her that grace and forgiveness that we all need and that's the that's the real powerful message of this story uh, i think that's why I, I would echo what you all had said earlier that this is a favorite because i think all of us can whatever our sin put ourselves uh, in the place of that woman of being uh, accused and of knowing and knowing that we're guilty but what we need is not somebody pointing out how guilty we are and uh, being willing to throw stones at us but what we need is somebody who is willing to show us grace and give us forgiveness and that is Jesus and uh, you know that that really moves in my heart because that's been an experience of my life over and over again, I have to say, of, uh, of knowing that I sinned, but knowing that there was grace and there was forgiveness. And Jesus was there not to condemn me, but to forgive and send me on my way with a new way of living. That's powerful to me. So this is another opportunity to encourage people to talk about experiences in their lives where maybe they were caught doing something wrong and someone uh, gave them grace and mercy. Uh, maybe it was a teacher or a parent or a police officer uh, who gave a warning as opposed but there will uh, hopefully be multiple opportunities where people will talk about how they have experienced in nowhere near the intensity, but, but just that sense of, Oh man, what a relief. I'm so glad. And and when you think of this woman, how much greater that feeling must have been. Well, and, you know, part of following Jesus is uh, living like Jesus. And here certainly is a model about how we are to deal with those that uh, uh, that sin. It's, it, and it's not a matter of ignoring it or condoning it, but it is a matter of being compassionate in how you uh, approach the person and that the outcome is not one in which I condemn you, but I forgive you, or I point you to the source of forgiveness. So one of the questions that we ask uh, in this section is, um, how can we communicate to others their need for Jesus without condemning them? And I don't, I don't necessarily think it's an easy question to answer, but I think it is I think that's kind of one of those moments where we ask that question and are quiet and give people a chance to think that through. In our culture, there's a lot of judgment and condemnation that's going on. And uh, this will, I think, be a an opportunity for a, almost a breath of fresh air to come over us as we, as we think and consider how, um, how how can we be more like Jesus and not condemn 
uh, and recognize our, but at the same time, recognize our need for him and his grace. Yeah. Cause when I read that question, I did just what you said. I, I thought, Hmm, that's a, that's an interesting question to answer. How would I answer it? And, uh, I didn't even answer it in my mind. You know, I, 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 it was something to reflect on. How do I do that? And uh, that I think that can be interesting discussion for us because it's pretty easy for all of us to, to go the other route. You know, well, I know how to judge and I know how to condemn. I know how to point out the flaws. How do I uh, be honest about sin but give a message of hope. So whoever you're meeting with this week in Bible study groups, do take time, leave time at the end for this conversation that we're having right here. And think about how do I live this out? First of all, in my own life, have, have I experienced Christ's grace and forgiveness? If you look in your personal study guides or your daily discipleship guide in the live it out section, this last page, where you're given some application thoughts, some things to think about doing, one of them is to confess sin. Uh, what are some ways sin has reared its ugly head in your life? Well, just come to Christ with it. Remember, because we're talking about his grace and forgiveness. But one of the other application ideas here is the idea that we ought to extend grace to someone else, to that someone else who has been annoying to us, has irritated us, flustered us. Show them some grace, extend grace to them, even as Christ has extended grace to us. And in the process of doing that, we reflect Christ to others. Ron and Chris, thank you for this conversation we've had today in this podcast. Glad to do it. Always great to see you, Ron. Thanks for the insight that you share with us and uh, thanks for writing for us. Thank you. And we hope all of you have a wonderful Bible study this week. We will talk to you next week.